Hello, accountants and financial planners. Welcome to In the Slipstream FM, the podcast designed to help you run a better business. We've got a terrific episode in store for you today. I'm Scott Charlton from Slipstream Group, and in today's show, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Slipstream's latest business coach, Nina Forbes. You'll notice that I didn't say new business coach because that would be highly inaccurate. Coaching has been a feature throughout Nina's career across a wide range of positions. Now, I'm delighted to advise all that coaching experience, plus her deep knowledge of financial services, is available to the Slipstream community. By the way, if what Nina has to say resonates, please reach out. You'll find that she's extremely willing to assist. Then, after the main interview is finished, stay around because I'm going to share a framework I've been applying to both my sporting endeavours and the professional services firms I'm coaching. It's remarkably easy to grasp, while at the same time ensuring you are thinking strategically, no matter how pressing the issues of the day have become. Let's get started. Now here's some great ideas for your firm where we're all about success on your terms. Get the knowledge, the tools and insights from special guests. Everything you need to become your very best. So come and build the business of your dreams. Settle in and listen now to In The Slipstream. And welcome back. I mentioned at the outset that today's guest is Nina Forbes, who has joined the ranks of coaches here at Slipstream Group. I've been looking forward to sharing this conversation with you because Nina has taken on so many noteworthy roles in her career and I was genuinely interested in exploring her accomplishments along with seeking her views on financial services as a whole. Come and I'll introduce you to Nina. I'm sure you'll find, as I did, that she's a fundamentally caring person who is really attuned to helping others. The exact qualities firms in our program have come to expect from their Slipstream coach. I started the interview by asking Nina, why coaching and why at this stage in your career? I enjoy coaching. Uh, I have done it within our existing business and found it to be uh, very rewarding because having had businesses, it's nice to share with others and help them and guide them. With you guys, there's no better group. Great. Okay. I like that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Nina, particularly relevant to the firms you'll be working with, um, could you give us just a brief background to your career in financial services? Yeah, I um, joined the industry in 1989 uh, as an advisor. Um, I did the CIFA study, which is no longer existent. That's because there was no degrees or diplomas or anything back then, yeah. Um, So I was an advisor, worked through to then working within uh, compliance with AFSLs, then funds management, Uh, had my own business, a couple of businesses, um, and pretty much focused within the financial planning side. Great. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, But before we do that, any particular highlights that come to mind? 
It's an interesting question, Scott, because I've found my journey to be fantastic. Uh, the highlights have been within each role that I've had, I've found things to be uh, what you would deem as a highlight. But particularly when running an AFSL, I found yes. that to be very rewarding and challenging. But also starting a business from scratch and growing with it and then selling it was also extremely rewarding. Lovely. Okay. So I'm going to uh, look into parts of your career. And, and this this uh, part of your career I'd like to talk about firstly is with respect to um, employed leadership positions. And wow, there's quite a lot to choose from. Director of this, head of that, general manager, group manager. <laughs> so I'd like to explore... Uh, were you appointed to these positions from from the outset or did you work your way up to them? Um, I did both, really. Within the businesses that I worked for, I developed the skills and the experience, plus I did additional education within that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would then put, put me further up my career path where typically I was approached for other groups. Nice. Okay. So doubtless you would have received many offers and opportunities during the course of that part of your career. How did you determine which to take up and which to steer clear of? Um, My primary focus was looking at the business. I'd look at the reputation, the ethics, the culture. I'd look look at who was driving the bus, um, whether I liked who they were and would obviously do a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it got ticks, uh, I would then look at the position and the position for me had to be challenging and know that it was along the pathway of what I wanted to do. And then finally, it would have to be the financial compensation was worthwhile. Appropriately so. Now, with all these leadership positions, it would be easy to assume that you simply let go of your technical knowledge and yet For example, in your very recent role as Director at Strategic Outsourcing Solutions, you were helping people to become the best responsible managers that they could be. Now, that surely demanded that you were top of your game technically. So how did you manage this? Uh, And dare I say, would there be aspects of how you juggled leadership and and being good technically, uh, anything that practitioners can take out of that who might be wrestling with a similar dilemma? Yeah, it, it always is something that uh, has to be a priority, mm-hmm. maintaining your learning and education. Yeah. I've always maintained CPD, even when I wasn't technically required to, because you've got to continue to learn. You can't just sit um, and relax yes. in what you're doing. Yes. In our industry specifically, uh We've had so many changes. And if you're not on top of it, if you just think back two years, we had to infor- um, implement the Royal Commission changes, yes. all of those um, areas around breach reporting, DDO, IDR, et cetera, et cetera. So we're in a different world now than we were just two years ago or three mm. years ago. So you have to stay current. So therefore, mm. it is a priority. And as an RM, uh, a responsible manager, it's critically important that you know what's going on. You don't mm. actually have to know the grassroots of it all, but you need to be aware. Yes, great, okay. And yet now at Slipstream Group, you'll have zero management responsibility, tasked only with being a great coach to your panel of clients. Um, How do you think you'll adjust to this, or should Sharon be worried that you've got laser dots on her role as CEO? (laughs) You know my cunning plan. Um, (laughs) There is no one better than Sharon, so she's definitely safe in her seat. 
But um, over the past seven years with um, SOLS, Strategic Outsource Solutions, we only have contractors, so I've not had to manage staff for quite some time now yeah. uh, and enjoy the role of working with the clients um, on their AFSLs rather than managing the staff. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so I don't want listeners to get the wrong impression uh, because uh, sort of glittering as your career is in employed positions, you've, you've largely followed the, the career path of, of most, if not all, the other slipstream coaches in that uh, those such roles have complemented sort of long periods of running your own business. Uh, so in the interest of time, I thought I'd zero in on just one of those businesses, uh, power planning professionals, for two reasons. One is that it's, it, it's a complete story, a beginning, a middle and a happy end. Um, and the other aspect is is sort of you've successfully recruited, employed, managed dozens of power planners over the years. Uh, and I'm sure many of the listeners will be interested in any insights that you've got to give about that. Uh, so to start off this part of the interview, Nina, could you just provide a brief overview of your journey with paraplanning professionals? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was back in 1996, so a while ago. <laughs> but the same principles apply of what, what we went through as to business today. Um, my best mate at the time, Jenny Herbal, and she still is, uh, we were sitting at, at my place sunbaking in the winter sun on our driveway when we were bemoaning the fact that we were both in um, working with an AFSLs and our advisors needed more paraplaning support, mm. but there just wasn't enough demand to employ someone full-time. Yes. So we thought, thought about the idea of contract paraplaning. Now, this is back before the ASIC, it was the ASC, and so paraplaning was really a fairly new concept. Mm. So we weren't sure if they would have to be authorised or how it could work, so we spent a bit of time planning it and decided to then take the leap of faith and started the business. Um, from my personal perspective, where I was at, I gave up a, a, a good role to do it and I sold my house and my car and got rid of all debt so that um, I was comfortable with doing the business. Mm. I had a part-time role which um, meant I could obviously eat for a little while. <laughs> that's important. <laughs> Nutrition factor, yeah, I call it. Yeah, that's right. Um, but then fast forward over five years, our business grew quite quickly where, um, you know, we started with a, a single office. It, we sublet from a large accounting firm. They had some space. So Jen and I shared an office, um, one desk with a barrier in between, and grew over the five years to move three times to eventually get back to that same location where the opportunity was to take over the whole floor. So we had 500 square metres and a deep sense of satisfaction that we were back where we started and yet yes. in a different position. Look out accountants. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yes, yeah. that's right. Very yeah. good. So how did the numbers work in this business? Was it a case of the more power planners you added, the more money you made, or was there sort of any lessons in optimal sizing? Yeah. With the um, contract power planning back then, it it typically wasn't that profitable. We we were aiming for at least a 30% profit margin, um, but it was a new concept. It took a while for people to understand or the advisors to accept. Plus, we had chunky software programs. I mean, we had FPI, which never seemed to be complete. We had DOS-based systems. So 
It was challenging, however, it did work. But for us to grow a profitable business, we realised we needed to diversify. Um, so we uh, realised that finding a power planner was hard, so we had to grow our own. So we developed a training course um, where the profitability was greater at 30%. Um, and then when the power planners finished the course and were looking for roles, we would then place them into firms and that also had a high profit margin. So by diversifying, we were able to cover a whole range within that space. I really like that story because as, a, as an observation, uh, I think that many in financial planning, uh, when they have a need, they look for an instant solution rather than necessarily growing their own. Yeah. Uh, and yet here you are, you've introduced many people into financial services uh, and they've forged a career after that. Yeah, that's right. And there's many that are still out there. So, and doing the same, you know, they've got yeah. their own firms now and they're doing, nice. yeah, which is, yeah, it's great. It, it, yeah, no, that's, that's a, quite a, a legacy that you've created there. Um, sounds to me like Jenny and yourself had uh, an end in mind, uh, which is a profitable sale. So how did this influence uh, how you built and ran the business? Um, yeah, it, it is important to have the end in mind, uh, but we're also flexible along the way. If we just stuck to contract power planning, the business wouldn't have been what it was in the end. Yes. Um, so it's important to look at where your, the path is going and adapting to suit to each, reach that end goal. Our focus each year was to double the revenue um, that we made the year before. There were a lot of maths around that. But it was also keeping in mind that we wanted a 30% profit margin. Um, so we'd set the target and then figure out how we're going to do it. So the activity that was required, um, we'd dumb it. I mean, we'd break it right down so that we knew week to week what was required. And there was only one year where we didn't achieve our goal. Um, just we were just shy about thirty grand, just shy of what we wanted to do in that period. That is remarkable to sustain that over so many years. I can only imagine the uh, the squeeziness and working capital <laughs> over that time. But uh, well, well done you. Um, so, how did the deal to sell the business come about, and what were some of the lessons learned from this process? Uh, well, we were approached by okay. Tribeca. Uh, Tribeca owned uh, Integratech, and Tribeca was bought out by Kaplan. So, you right. know, they're in the education game because. Um, our business had morphed to become a registered training organisation. Yep. Uh, we were an attractive um, business for them to acquire. Yes. So having never done it before, and it was our one chance to get it right, yes. we sought advice. Sure. Um, yep. We did have a business coach along the way uh, who we uh, called Yoda, uh, but he was actually an accountant who also had small business himself. So he was the yes. same kind of thing, you know. Yes. Um, he wasn't just an accountant. He, yes. he was a businessman. So he guided us and obviously we got legal advice. Um, and I think the important thing was um, stand firm with your negotiations, but okay. also understand um, where you give and take. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, good answer. So be it from that business and all your observations from the current environment, can you give me some tips when it comes to recruiting, retraining, retaining, I should say, retaining and training and incentivising power planners? Well, I think power planners are like any other staff, really. Um, okay. The most important thing 
to do is give them clarity of what their role is so they understand what's required of them, clear direction and always communicate with, yeah. with your staff. Uh, power planners do need regular training, like everybody, but yeah. they probably a little bit more so yes. because they yes. have the technical as well as all the other things they need to do. Constantly review. Uh, meet with them, tell them how they're doing, how they can adjust. And if you have an incentive program, make sure it's very clear so that they can understand what the, what extra bonus they might be able to achieve. Right. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Now, Nina, you've spent most of your career on the financial planning side of financial services, and yeah, I see one of your senior roles was head of financial advice for a mid-tier accounting firm. Uh, not all that long, <laughs> but how did you find slotting into the accounting world, albeit with a financial planner's hat on? Uh, it was interesting because it was the first time I'd had to do it, and it, culturally it was was very different. Yes. It really was. Yes. Uh, it was fortunate because it was an existing um, department per se yes. within the business, so yes. they it wasn't a brand new idea. What I found interesting is that accountants have different issues than what financial planners do, um, and it's often reflected in with their dealings with their clients. The accountants typically have time-based fees, which is difficult. You know, you six-minute slots and all of that kind of mm-hmm. thing. That was a foreign concept. <laughs> so It's a bit hard to explain yeah. to anybody who's not been steeped in it from uh, from the get-go. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think from from their payroll structure, the financial planners had to do it as well. So it was, oh. it was really hard to incorporate. <laughs> but we got there. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's, that, that's interesting. I... Um, Yes, yes. Uh, there's more I could say, but uh, yeah, that's a good answer. Um, so uh, what in you, your view are the keys to providing an integrated service experience to the client, or is this even possible? Oh, I think it is, and I think it's what the client needs most of the time. I mean, yes. typically clients are looking for a solution, and it's not usually just in one area. So if the, what we found um, was... You keep the client as the hub, the core of what everyone's doing. And everybody else is just a spoke off it. And to meet the client's needs, it's all about trust with each other, communication. You've got to keep each other in the loop, um, working together to achieve the outcome. Um, And having a a good understanding of what each other is trying to achieve is really important. Yeah, nice. Okay. So... um, Financial planning in the present day, uh, I'd really be interested in your views uh, on the current state of play with respect to the compliance regime. Mm-hmm. Do you think we've got the balance right in terms of protecting the public uh, on the one hand and enabling honest practitioners to run a profitable business on the other? Yeah. It's hard, that one, isn't it? Because yep. um, compliance is a result of where we've come from. Mm. Uh, if you think back... Like when I was an advisor, you didn't have SOAs, you didn't even have customer advice records. Remember those? It was coming in the yes, 90s, yes. yeah. Um, so we've had to adapt. And along that way, the framework may have gone too far, but the, I think the pendulum will swing back again. Yes. Um, it was all sales focused back in the 90s, and yes. there was some great training around sales, and we've lost that. And now there's great training around compliance. So yeah. it, it's just, it, it's keeping, um, working with the environment. You can't ignore it. Um, but being um, 
understanding that you're just doing what you need to do and just do it yes. and figure out the best way to manage it yes. the best way you can. Yes. Yeah. So are we there yet? Can financial planning truly be considered a profession? Uh, what else might still need to occur before planners can take their place alongside other more traditional professions such as accounting and the law? Um, look, I can't remember who said it, but it rings true being we may not be deemed as a profession, but we have a lot of professionals. Okay. So it's, I think we're getting there. The lift in education requirements was definitely needed. We just didn't have the qualifications back there. And along the way, those who most likely have now left the industry, yeah. it was hard for them to then sit down and do a degree if it was a foreign concept. Sure. So we've morphed and grown as a profession. We have a way to go um, from the traditional aspect of what a profession means. But we've moved to fee-for-service. We've got a code of ethics in place. And so we're on a strong pathway to actually meeting that requirement. Nice. How do you see the merger of the AFA and FPA? Uh, well, I think it's a good thing. It's it's yes. a unified body. Um, with all of this change that's happened over the past few years, we have lost a lot of experienced advisors. So I think over the past four years, we've there's about um, 12,000 advisors that are going. So it's left a huge gap, yes. um, which means that we're more there's room to grow with yes. um, new recruits into this industry. And therefore, by having a unified body, that's what they're entering into. They've not got the legacy of two associations or sometimes there were three trying to yes. spark up. So I think it's really a good thing. The other thing is that, that with politics, what, no matter what side you're on, they recognise the importance of our industry. Yes. So they do have an ear to yes. knowing, understanding what we do. Yeah, great. Okay. So casting forward uh, into the future for financial planning, and I think you of all people are well and truly entitled to an opinion on the future of compliance, given the, your um, uh, your interest in in uh, RMs. Uh, so it's a big question, I know. But what would you like to see happen? I think I would like to see um, more personal accountability by clients. Okay. I think. Um, the educating, unfortunately, a lot of clients don't really want to know. And then you, the advisors spend the time to go through educating them, and then it doesn't hit home. So yes. it, it's, it is challenging. I think there needs to be an easier process around the compliance front, but I think we're getting there. You know, technology plays a big part in all of this, yes. and all it's going to do is help streamline, streamline the process so it's not so manual and it becomes more efficient. Yeah, great, okay. So that said, what do you expect to see happen? <laughs> I guess we'll wait, watch, and see what Stephen Jones says with uh, the QAR, yeah, yeah. which is just sort of looming and, and what gets implemented. But I do think the current SOA requirements will be reduced. Uh, it is laborious uh, what can be expected to be included, but I guess we'll just see. What is the future of self-licensing? Oh. When it was first raised, it, it, it did concern me. Yes. You know, I, I, we're nowhere near ready to be self-licensed. I, I, I know what, it, what is required to run an AFSL. 
and and these businesses can't do that it's it's too uh, demanding on time and cost and so uh, there's got to be some changes before we get to that point okay Um, and the future of SOAs well it's evolving yeah. You know, yeah. it might be called something else. I mean, the SOA used to be the car, and, and so right. it, yes. it'll be called something else. But at the end of the day, it's a strategy piece for the client, yeah. uh, and it's got to be easy for the client to understand, and it needs to be validated where you got your information from. That's mm. what it is. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Will it ever be possible to run a large and profitable AFSL? <laughs> It is. Okay, right, right. <laughs> Depends on what you call profitable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it is challenging. But I think it's reminding people that an AFSL is just a tool. It's the practice that needs to be profitable. Cool, you know, like uh, yeah, the yes. AFSL is a platform to deliver all that's required so that the business can run, the pra- practice can run profitably. Yeah. Makes sense. Nina, where should people with smaller balances go to get financial advice? Well, it probably, I guess with that question, it's not about the balance because we're not looking at FUM from the FUM aspect. You know, it shouldn't matter if they're prepared to pay a $4,000 strategy fee and they've only got ten grand. well, then they're prepared to pay it. Yes. But having said that, typically someone with $10,000 won't be able to afford a $4,000 strategy fee, which is what we have to pay, uh, sorry, charge. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it's, it is hard because the government has all these um, areas where you, they can go for advice but typically they won't trust yes. that environment mm. um, uh, I, I'm not too sure but educating people and through an online tool is probably the easiest mm. way for them to get that advice mm. okay and do you think the new if AAA will get a voice uh, and outside of its members will anyone even care what the FAAA says? I'm sure they'll make sure they do listen. (laughs) Um, With the merger, um, I don't know everybody on the exec committee but I do know um, Phil Anderson and he has always been a very good lobbyist. He understands our industry so I think that they will be quite a strong voice going forward. Great, okay. Nina, I'd like to swing now to your coaching role uh, with Slipstream. So so why Slipstream Coaching and why not just hang out your own shingle? Yeah, I think, um, well, it's obvious. You guys are specialists in this space. I mean, you yourself, Scott, have written some amazing, amazing results. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and that's been known for years. So I think that it was two fronts. One, I dabbled in business coaching with SOS, um, yes. and I enjoy it. Yes. But to deliver what they need is time-consuming for yes. me uh, to write the material. Yes. Plus, why when there's you know specialists in this space, which is slipstream coaching, to be contracted to help you with your clients to achieve what they're trying to achieve, to me is the best that can possibly be done. It is the best bit, isn't yeah. it? You only do the best bit. So, yeah, that's uh, yeah right. help, help the clients. Great. So, Nina, what can clients expect from you as their coach? They can expect that I will be firm but fair. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not interested in talk fests. I think it's a collaborative process. I'm there to help. 
I'm not there to do. Uh, it's about accountability and enjoying themselves along the way, shooting the breeze, tossing ideas around. Um, I'm a sounding board, but at the end of the day, it's working with them to get what they're wanting to achieve. Love that. On day one, when you walk into a financial planning or accounting firm, what are some of the things that you'll be particularly attuned to? How I'm welcomed, okay, as if I was yes. a client. I, nice. I would put a client hat on yeah. um, to see how it felt uh, as I walked through the door and, and greeted. Also, the state of the office, if it's messy, <laughs> sure, <laughs> it can sure. often speak volumes. Um, yeah. Also, you've got your work health safety aspect to it too, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, uh, then, uh, you know, the obvious is then getting into the nitty-gritty to nice. see how it goes. Okay. Are there any things in particular that you're looking forward to in regard to working with your coaching clients? Getting to know them and their yes. business and the yes. challenges that they've got, understanding what their grassroots issues are, uh, and really just working with them to help them achieve what their goals and objectives are. Great. Okay. How important do you think is it that the coach has had practical experience in running a professional practice before coaching? I think with having done the hard yards yourself in your own business, it helps you relate to what your clients are experiencing. Yeah. Um, it's not just textbook stuff. It's the, the real feel of what it's like and the heartache and the joy that comes with running a business and all of the challenges along the way. Great. Are there any hobby horses, pet hates or must-dos that you'll bring to the coach's desk? Um, okay, for me, when I have meetings with people, you know, whether it's staff or clients or who any, anybody, RM meetings especially, yeah. um, at the end of every meeting, there's, I would like there to be action items rather than okay. it just that we've been sitting around talking. And yeah. when there's action items, you've got to then have somebody nominated to do them, yeah. and then the time frame of when that needs to be done. That, to me, is critical. And from there, we make sure that it's implemented and that there's accountability. So if things haven't happened within the time frame, there needs to be a reason. So we work through all of that. So that, that for me, is the core around being a business coach because otherwise you're just there as a friend. Yes, great, okay. Now, it's early days, I know, but is there anything in particular that has caught your eye about Slipstream's coaching program? <laughs> it is early days, <laughs> but um, uh, the amount of resources is just incredible, and the quality that I've looked at is its just spot on. It really right. is. And, uh, you know, I would say that even if I wasn't talking to you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that even though there's a whole library of tools there, if more are needed, the resources are here to help create those tools so it's not just that as well it's the quality of the other coaches it's a team that if I'm stuck I can rely on them yeah. to help me yeah. help the clients yeah yeah great okay so Nina you've sailed through that without sort of a bead of sweat on your brow um, to finish off though I'm going to ask you the the um, totally uh, cannot prepare in advance for a rapid fire dozen okay. so are you ready for this no no, oh, excellent. I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, so the usual rules apply, Nina. Five seconds per answer. Okay. Question one: Apple or Android phone? Apple. 
favourite form of exercise? Oh. oh, probably hiking. If it's here, if it's overseas, it's skiing. So nice. skiing, yeah. Okay. Nina, if you hadn't become such a whiz at financial services, what other career path would you have chosen? Oh, well, I don't know. I think if it was a dream, it would be something in the arts. Oh, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other than In the Slipstream FM, what's your favourite podcast? Oh, I like Unsung Science, uh, which is just fascinating stuff. Yeah, I can't remember who, who the, the person is, but yeah, Unsung right. Science is great. I'll put a reference to that in the show notes. Nina, when setting out in a foreign city, do you A, take a map, B, rely on the GPS in your phone, or C, go where the mood takes you? Oh, typically the GPS. Right, okay. What's an expression you're renowned for? <laughs> yeah, nah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <I have> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Nina, give me three qualities that one needs to be a competent, responsible manager of an AFSL. Okay. They need to be... Um, up to date on all the regulatory and legislative issues. Yeah. They need to be um, business minded. Yeah. So understanding that you, do, you don't do it all yourself, you've got people who will implement for you. And they need to have leadership qualities so that when, which, you know, that in itself brings a whole heap of things like accountability, blah, blah, blah. Um, because they're in a position of leadership for the AFSL. Yeah. Got more than I bargained for. That's great, a great set of answers there. Um, would you be prefer to be at the beach or in the snow next Christmas? Snow. What's been the high watermark to date in your personal musical performances? <laughs> <laughs> I think tapping along to Moulin Rouge yesterday. <laughs> right, okay, that'll do. Nina, what's a prominent item still dangling out there on your travel bucket list? Well, I want to go to Ireland. I want to do some hiking in Ireland and Scotland. Right. Yeah. Okay. And finally, what's your go-to choice of fruit for lunch on a hot summer's day? Orange. Nice. Very good. Nina Forbes, thanks very much for your time today and welcome to the Slipstream Group. Thank you, Scott. Glad to be here. Well, that concludes my interview with Nina Forbes, who has joined the coaching ranks here at Slipstream Group. Doubtless, because she has such a vast depth of experience and responsibilities to call upon, Nina struck me as being a wonderful coach to have in one's corner. I was also impressed with Nina's sage advice on two areas, which come up frequently with the firms we work with. Firstly, when selling one's business to stand firm during the negotiations whilst recognising the need for give and take. Secondly, her views on recruiting and getting the best out of one's power planners can readily be applied more broadly to employees in a professional services firm. 
Nina's thoughts about delivering an integrated accounting and financial services solution to clients also sit well with a foundation plank of Slipstream itself. I doubt there will be a bigger advocate of accountants and planners collaborating to the benefit of mutual clients than Slipstream Group. I've put contact details of Nina in the accompanying show notes. You'll find that Nina is readily contactable through the normal Slipstream channels and via LinkedIn. By the way, the podcast Nina may reference to is Unsung Science, hosted by David Pogue. It sure looks interesting, based as it is on creators revealing their inspirations and roadblocks in making their breakthroughs. I'll put some details of the podcast in the show notes. second part of today's episode, I'd like to share a framework that I'm increasingly finding helpful in both the business coaching work I do with professional services firms, along with my long-term interest in physical fitness. The good news is that this framework is remarkably simple to absorb, remember, and better still, apply in practice. What I really like about the framework, though, is that it encourages enlightened thinking. So often we get absorbed in the issues of the day. A deadline here, a crisis there. If we're not careful, then that's all we ever do. Running around with the adrenaline pumping and being busy, busy, busy. If we're ever to get out of this mode, to get more done in less time and without the stress, it requires us to think about how to make tomorrow and the next week and the next year better and easier than today. What I've found is it's possible to view the same situation through three different lenses, which I've labelled 1. Hygiene, or if you prefer, simply dealing with the cards at hand today. In essence, it's about fixing that report and getting it out to the client for signature as soon as possible. 2. Health, for living well while you do what you do. And 3. My personal favourite, fitness for achieving your potential in the best way possible. Those three factors again, hygiene, health and fitness. Let's apply this to a simple example. Suppose we've got it into our mind that we'd like to run a marathon. Whoa! (laughs) For us to be successful in this lofty ambition, all three factors will have their place. From a hygiene perspective, It's time to throw away those tatty old trainers that you use for housework and mowing on the weekends and invest in some new running shoes. I don't think that there's anything too controversial here. From a health perspective, it's time to pay more attention to the fuel we are putting into our system, particularly thinking about those long training sessions ahead. If you're going to run the 12k route home after work, you'll certainly be better prepared with this in your system. From a fitness perspective, you'll benefit enormously from engaging a running coach, someone who is an experienced runner themselves and able to provide the running program and helpful advice which will have you ready for success come race day. Now, let's apply this framework to an everyday business example. Let's say we've got masses of work to get through, we're understaffed and, we suspect, inefficient with a lot of our processes. 
From a hygiene perspective, we might call a team meeting at which we explain the workload situation, define the problem, so many tax returns or SOAs to get out within a certain time frame, how we'll track our progress and find some extra capacity. Perhaps we'll ask everyone to work a couple of extra hours each day for the next month in return for some time off in lieu. Or we might seek to negotiate the extension of some deadlines. You get the picture. Gotta do what you gotta do. From a health perspective, we must ensure that we're not permanently in this state of crisis. Quite simply, we need to engineer things so that we aren't in the same position this time next year. Accountants, I'm looking at you. <laughs> some examples would be ahead of time, sending clients a tailored checklist of all the information you require to complete the assignment. Better still, having a team member check that this information is all complete before the accountant or power planner sits down to actually do the work would mean that it can all be done in one go, thereby avoiding the usual inefficiencies entailed in picking up and putting down the assignment several times over. Also, instigating a peer review system, whereby work is checked at a basic level before it goes to a busy principal for final review and sign-off. Then, from a fitness perspective, we will look at certain things like scheduling the work so that it doesn't all accumulate in certain times of the year, developing standard operating procedures designed to have common tasks performed consistently and efficiently, regular team training to boost skills in doing the work, along with career development plans which will help you better utilise the talent that's in your team. And by the way, foster retention of said best talent. Sacking some clients who just don't get their information in on time. Yep, that's allowed. So, from a coach's perspective, it seems that whilst we might be plunged into tactical issues, it doesn't necessarily mean that all we do is apply band-aids, a la the hygiene approach. It's only by looking at health and ultimately fitness aspects of the situation that we'll escape an endless cycle. In other words, we're looking for a permanent solution, not just a temporary fix. I've also observed that working owners tend to be their own worst enemy, burying themselves in client work rather than thinking about how to make things better on a long-term basis. So, the next time when you're seemingly up to your eyeballs in workload or a crisis, while you are solving these issues of the day, be thinking about how you can improve the situation such that you can mitigate it or even avoid completely this occurring in the future. In short, the health and fitness aspects are deserving of your attention. That's the end of our show today. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you got plenty out of it. I've got more interesting interviews lined up, so make sure you've subscribed to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or Spotify to have this coming through on your mobile device automatically. Music for this episode is once again brought to us by Tim Lane. Thanks, Tim. Love your work. Until the next episode, onwards and upwards. We all have these choices about what we're gonna do. The simple fact is, it's always up to you. It was a long
time A long, long time